This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, welcome back to Playing Out From The Back podcast. Um, today, the lineup has changed slightly. Um, Aaron White and Mo Spencer have dropped to the bench, I'm afraid. Um, but we have brought in reinforcements. I'm joined today uh, by Callum Kennedy, um, pr- professional football player. Now, we wouldn't normally get that because normally Mo would, be, Mo would like to say that he was he was once a pro. Um, but yeah, we, we, we've drafted in drafted in good reinforcements, I think. Cal, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Um, I'm not sure that I fall under the category of professional footballer anymore, but I will take that. I will take that. Nice I think, so, I yeah. think, I see, I think that's, I think you're sort of uh, bringing yourself down a bit there because Mark, your new gaffer, mate, has, has Preach that Dorking Wanderers is an elite team now, so I still think you class as pro. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll take it then happily. Yeah, I think that um, uh, Mark definitely has aspirations for that, and I think that the way the club is headed, um, he wouldn't be far wrong. So it's definitely a professional setup in that sense. So I mean, for all purpose' sake, I'll, I'll take it this evening. Take no it, take. Well, listen. Was it 136 appearances I've got down here um, in the league, mate? Swindon, Gillingham, Rotherham, Scunthorpe, and AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, um, Leighton Orient as well. Leighton Orient. Oh, yeah, of course. Leighton Orient. Yeah. Oh, is, my research is not as good as I thought it was. There you go. <laughs> so, I mean, t- t- tell us a bit about your, your path, Cal, because this is what I wanted to sort of give the, the listeners a little bit of a, an insight um, as we deep dive in between sort of making it into the professional game. T- tell us your, your journey. Okay, cool. So starting from like real young, do you mean, or, or just yeah, mate? Profession- give, yeah. Give, nah, give us the full rundown. Go on. Uh, okay, cool. So sort of much like any other kid, showed a bit of an interest. Probably actually, in all honesty, maybe a little bit later than some other kids would. Um, sort of seven or eight years old, uh, and it kind of started because uh, a bunch of kids in my street that were a bit older than me, um, where I grew up in Windlesham, like Surrey way. Um, they were all playing football out in the street, a bit older, and they kind of just drafted me in as like a bit of an extra body. And much like yeah. when you're watching the older kids play, oh, I had older cousins that played football as well, and I just wanted to kind of aspire to be a bit like them, really. Um, so just started playing football in the street. They all supported Tottenham, so obviously became a Tottenham fan off the back of just wanting to follow what these older kids were doing. And it was in a weird way, it was probably the best thing for me because they weren't bad. And I very quickly kind of picked up on what they were doing and they were quite rough knocking you around or whatever. So it kind of toughened you up a little bit as well. Um, And yeah, I I very quickly decided that I'd fall in love with it. Um, I then went to go and play for um, a a semi-local team, I guess you could call it, uh, Naphill Wanderers. That was the first team I ever played for and it was like their under eights team. Um, yeah, and we just played a few sort of like n- not I wouldn't say super competitive games, but kind of 
just like against other local sides at that age. And I think I, I obviously started to do okay. Um, yeah. And uh, then went to basically another lad that I went to um, primary school with. His dad was managing a team called Curly Park Rangers, which is another local team. Uh, and he kind of stole me from Napier Wanderers, if you like, because <laughs> he had a, a half-decent team over at Curly Park. Um, and, yeah, that team that I went to play for there, they were under 10s. And they were decent. Um, another lad in the team called Ian Hester. He was a really good little player. Uh, and we had a few others that probably could have had sniffs of getting in academies and stuff. So we started kind of tearing up the local um, <laughs> circuit, if you like, uh, winning a few tournaments and stuff like that. And at one of the tournaments that we won, there was like a Crystal Palace, uh, Southampton, uh, and maybe I think there was a Chelsea scout as well. So me and Ian both went, we went to Chelsea for a little bit to like their centre of excellence on like a six week trial. We kind of passed that stage, but then there was like a difference at the time between their centre of excellence and their academy. I, I can't remember the full ins and outs, but basically we kind of were in like this waiting pool, if you like, to try to get into mm. the, the main, the academy and stuff. Um, and we never quite got there. And at the time it was a bit less, it was a bit more relaxed. You could kind of like bounce around and, be on trial at different places and still play for your Sunday league teams and stuff. So yeah. we were we were still at Curly Park, but um, I think Southampton and Crystal Palace were fairly keen. But then Reading came in and Reading were like, basically borderline pretty much just offered us contracts at the time. Uh, so we both decided to go to Reading together, me and Ian. Um, and his dad used to drive me to training and bits like that. So I was always kind of thankful for him. Um, and he was the manager of our team at Curly Park, so he'd given me some really good advice as well and just kind of, again, made me maybe kind of instilled the little bits of confidence that I was a good player at that young age and, and yeah. not to, not to kind of second-guess it and just play with freedom, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah, we, we ended up getting, getting contracts at Reading where we then stayed from, like, 10 all the way through to 15, 16, um, had like Brendan Rogers as a manager at under 12s and under 14s um, and there was a lot a lot of good players at the time at Reading coming through that youth system um, of which probably I don't know between my age the year above and the year below there's gone on to probably be anywhere north of 10 to 15 professional players that have made it like we're talking top top level like top level yeah, yeah, premiership. Like Gilfie Sigurdsson, he was in my age group. He's obviously still playing for Everton now. My best mate, Jem, he played for Reading first team, went on to play in the Champions League. Um, Sean Morrison, he obviously, he wasn't in the youth teams at Reading. He was, funnily enough, in my youth team at Swindon, where I then went on to, but he made a hell of a mm -hmm. career. He, he moved to Reading at a later date in his career. Um, Is he Cardiff captain now? He's the Cardiff captain now, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there was a whole host, like even players like there was a lad called James Henry. Um, he's now at Oxford. Alex McCarthy, obviously, he's at Southampton, goalkeeper. Um, so, yeah, like just, just basically. Not, not a bad pool. Not a bad, bad pool of no, players. No, there, there, there was some top, top, top players, yeah. Um, and that's not even mentioned. But the year above, like Jem's age, there was Hal robson Carnu, um, Simon Church, Alex Pierce, who's still playing. He was at Derby. Yeah, so literally we're talking like lads that, you know, against the statistics that would say that not many are going to make it through. At Reading, around them ages, it was like everyone kind of made it through. Um, what a year. What yeah, a year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, it, was um, it was a very good year. And it was. I think it was actually also the fact that a lot of them were very good, obviously, and they were probably pushing each other on. So there was like a real sense of like, we, you know, belief that we could do it. Um, and maybe I didn't quite make the grade at Reading and I didn't actually, um, funnily enough, I didn't get a scholarship at Reading. And then mm. weirdly, there was only actually one or two in my age. Our, our age was supposedly at Reading revered as like the age group that was going to be unbelievable. I didn't get a scholarship, but the ones that did, I think they were held in like super high regard. They were going to be, you know, destined for big things. And funnily mm. enough, the, the age group above weren't maybe expected too much and it was the age group above where literally like 10 of them ended up having championship and above careers and then my <laughs> age group not many did I think there was like one or two the Tom Hately plays in Poland there was like one or two 
Alex McCarthy's obviously had a great career, but aside mm. from that, I left and went to Swindon. Um, but I kind of forged sort of a 10, 30, well, like a 13 year career, if you like. Um, and yeah, so there wasn't, there, there wasn't that many in my age group that ended up kind of breaking through. Um, was that, do you reckon that expectations, like you said, they, they held in high regard? Do you reckon there was extra pressures? Did, did you, do you reckon the players could feel that? I, was that those I expectations? Think it, I think it actually went the other way in the sense that the lads who had the expectations, maybe, maybe there was an element of that, but I actually think the age group above heard all of this noise about the year below coming through and I think it made them uh, kick on because they were like this, this yeah they were like this lying better than us and rightly so like they, they they absolutely went on to to smash it so I think it was probably more an element of that rather than the pressure on our age group but like I said I, I left at 16 and hmm. um, a, a good friend of mine who, who again I think you you know him Brad can um he yeah. was at Swindon at the what's time. a player by the way yeah yeah good good player um he's he's my best mate um and he he basically was at Swindon at the time um at like under 16 level and it was getting to crunch time like for scholarships and stuff and I think maybe the fact that I'd come from obviously at the time Swindon was a center of excellence and Reading was an academy and it was a very highly thought of academy as well so when I kind of had been at Reading for six years and left and went to Swindon kind of on trial initially after I played a couple of games they were pretty quick to kind of offer me a scholarship and I kind of never looked back mm -hmm. I said yep sweet so I took the scholarship Brad then funnily enough well unfortunately enough didn't actually end up getting a scholarship himself so mm -hmm. it's weird I kind of went there to be with him he then left a couple of yeah. months later and then I kind of started my actual full-blown football career and kind of adult life at Swindon at 16 left school had to move down there um, went and lived in digs uh, with a couple of other lads that had done the same thing. Um, and then that was it, mate. We, we were like kind of off to the races, like thrown into to the real world, into men's football and trying to kind of forge myself anything I could, really. Yeah, that's it. I mean, uh, it, it just shows you the, the back, actually what's underneath. I think people will look at the, the, the sort of iceberg terminology, don't they? You see yeah. the... The, the tip there, but what's what's underneath all the work that, that goes in? You mentioned there about um, obviously your, your mate's dad taking you to and yeah. from training yeah. and and, ga and games. I mean, um, you, you're a dad now yourself. I mean, you, you know, if it ever got to that, probably yeah. uh, the sacrifice you got to put in as a parent, um, you know, for, for these kids now to, to make it. That's and as crazy. you said, you know, it's crazy because you you just said there you've got the centre of excellence before you've got academy. Yeah, not to yeah. mention what you've got to go for anyway, but before that, um, with, with obviously local sides as, as well. So, um, sometimes it is like you say, can be uh, right place, right time. I wouldn't always necessarily say it's the person you always know, but certainly having some players around you, like you said, your, your mate's dad, yeah, had yeah. a team, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, what, what would um what would your advice be? Now, I'm not saying you're giving advice to to an eight year eight year old yeah, uh, yeah. Callum Kennedy, but yeah. what what advice would you give to someone that is now in an academy or in that set of excellence at, at this point? What would your advice be to someone like that? So, I, I actually just going back to your point there, I, it, you, you're right. It's a melting pot of everything. It's timing. It's opportunity. It's like. The, the people that are there if, if a certain coach likes you at the time and etc etc there's so many like moving parts to this thing the sacrifices parents have to make my mum was a single parent so like she couldn't take me to training three times a week at Reading so if I didn't have Ian's dad there that might have been a struggle who knows I might not have been able to go to training so um yeah like like Brendan Rogers was my coach for two years out of them six years where he kind of um moved job roles and ended up like normally you would kind of stick with an age group and he ended up bouncing around and we got him twice and he installed some really good habits in us, et cetera, et cetera. So there was like, there's obviously an element of luck to it as well. But if I was to kind of give myself advice from, it wouldn't matter if it was the age of eight or even all the way through to 18 and then 28 years old, it would be to constantly try to improve. But at eight years old, I'd have to give someone the advice to enjoy it. Like if you're not enjoying the improvement side of things, like if you if it's not fun to you to get better at football, 
and it's work at eight years old, I'm not sure you're ever going to like that seems like it's a parent's dream for you rather than your dream. Mm. So yeah, if if it's something that a kid wakes up out of bed, jumps up and wants to run outside and play football, then amazing. That to me is probably the key part, enjoying getting better. And then if they've got that hunger to like, they want to play football every day, then it is just about rather than it being purely fun all the time and just wanting to score goals and do all of that stuff. Then it's like trying to get a kid to understand that, okay, cool. The fun's going to come from you putting in concentrated effort to get better and listen and take advice and take on what coaches are saying. But the truth is there's so many things in between injuries, mentality, like as you get older, things like, you know, at school, like girls come into the picture, like lads that, you know, everyone wants to go over to the park on a weekend and drink and that, you know, you have to be sort of determined enough to turn away from all of that stuff and not go for the quick, easy gains of like having fun and having a laugh at your pals and thinking long term at which 14, 15 is tough to do. Like, so it, I think it's either kind of in you to a degree to how much you want it and then on top of that, you can sprinkle on the good pieces of advice that definitely could have made things shorter for me. But like, I remember uh, a coach at Reading, Nicky Hammond, who's now the director of football at Celtic. So he's gone on to have a hell of a career. Um, mm. He, I remember him saying to me at 10 years old, listen, if you work on your right foot and get your right foot half as good as your left foot, you will have an unbelievable career in the game. Now, if we went outside and you passed the ball to my right foot right now, I'd probably fall over, mate. I can't kick a ball with my right foot. So <laughs> at that age, I didn't take his advice. And not because I was a bad kid. I wanted to do so well. But in my head, it was very much like, well, I want to do things that are going to get me praise. And that's getting the ball on my mm-hmm. left foot and zinging one in the top corner or whatever. Whereas actually, as I've got older, I've understood that what you do need to work on your strengths obviously because if you're good at something you can hone that skill and make it really good but you also have to get hold of any weaknesses and you're not gonna like my right foot being a weakness that doesn't necessarily mean I can go and make my right foot world class but what I should have done is get my right foot to a respectable level and then and then really honed in on my my skills and made them better and I kind of maybe missed out on that trick I, I didn't I was very much like, right, left foot, like, I'm good at this. So I, I do more because I wanted that praise. I wanted to, I didn't have the mentality of trying to improve my weaknesses, maybe. I think it's funny because it's, it's not just football. It's a life lesson to anyone. You know, yeah. people will be able to see from the outside in, you know, your strengths and weaknesses a little bit. And it's about taking things on board. And yeah, it's, you know, you have to learn from that. But hopefully then you can pass that on to someone else, you know, that, that knowledge. And hopefully, again, anyone listening will sort of be, OK, you know, I've heard my coach say this. I've heard the manager say this. You know, let me see if I can take that on board. And you've mentioned a couple of people already that you've come, you've come across in your career, coaches or, or managers or whoever it may be. But you've had some in, some names there that would interest a few people, and one of them being obviously Paolo De Canio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, obviously, he's... He's an interesting character, to to, uh, to say the least. Yeah. Um, but h- how was he to, to sort of play for? What was he What was he like as a manager? Uh, hell on earth, if I'm being completely honest. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was no joke, mate. It was no joke. Mentally, physically, the toughest year of my life. But, but again, looking back, super thankful that it happened when it happened because I was, I was, in a weird way, it was a blessing and a curse, right? Because I was young enough that, it basically, looking back now, as I've got older, I realised that if I'd have really embraced some of the things that he was going on about, like for me, he was still a bit too intense and a bit too much. But if I'd have taken it for what it was and really understood that, you know, it takes hard, hard work and sacrifice to get to like, all right, cool. I was a football league player. I was a professional footballer, but I never got to the upper echelons of like, you know, stardom or, or, or financial freedom for the rest of my life etc etc and if I'd have had the mindset that he had I think anyone with that mindset would have made it to the top of anything because he was just completely 100% you know would have sold his soul to the devil himself to to get to the top 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 he loved football it was his life it, he, he he literally slept football spoke football ate football everything was football 
So it was an unbelievable experience looking back, but at the time it was a tough, tough time because everything was meticulous. He would pick up on every single little thing that you did um, down to like the finer details of stuff that you'd think that you, me or you would never even think of. Um, and he would, he would pick a hole in, you know, where your shoulders were when you were defending against someone um, or, or the fact that you'd put ketchup on your lunch or mayonnaise. He hated like little tiny stupid things like that uh, down to condiments on food. Like he wouldn't, he, he would fly off the handle at stuff like that. So um, he was by far the best coach I've ever worked for um, by, by yeah. far because he was so intense and so precise on everything. And he got us so well drilled that we were just um, we were just like a well-oiled machine. We barely ever conceded goals, uh, and we absolutely smashed the league that season. We had a really good FA Cup run. We beat a couple of uh, we beat like Wigan, who were a Premier League team. Um, we you know we were a really really good side, of which a few players did kick on and probably took a lot of the lessons they got from Paolo Di Canio, and they they were mm. maybe mentally more. Uh, adapt they adapt to it than I was uh, and and use that as standards for the rest of their career someone like Matt Ritchie who went on to you know he's still playing in the premiership today for for Newcastle so there was elements of great stuff about him but at the time maybe being a bit mentally weaker than I should have been or looking for a bit of an easier ride, et cetera, et cetera. Like at times it would just get, it would just be too much. And you'd be thinking, this isn't that, this isn't fun. It's, it's just not, it's just not worth it. And then when you win the league and you kind of end up getting that winner's medal, it, it then very quickly does become worth it. But it was a long old slog that season for sure. Yeah. It's that balance, isn't it? Like you said, you, you come back to your, your earlier point, you want to still be enjoying your football and playing with a bit of a smile on your face. Yes, there's going to be some sacrifice, but you don't want it to be, I mean, you walk in your door, can what am I doing? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, but yeah. Fair, fair play. Like you said, you've got the, you get the winner's medal at the end of it. And you say, then you can have that, hopefully that smile back on your face. But you, you've had some, you've obviously picked up a few medals along the way. And um, definitely one of my, uh, my favourites, having, having been there at the time, um, was obviously at AFC Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a, a good good spell there, yeah, yeah. Um, well, a couple of good spells there, should we say? Yeah. And then, um, but uh, a couple of bits I wanted to watch your time at AFC Wimbledon there that I wanted to sort of uh, adhere to was you you did your your first year there, mm-hmm. and then unfortunately at the end, it, by the looks of things, obviously reading between the lines, obviously you were were let go. However, you were allowed to continue training, yeah. um, and then ended up resigning for him that that season. So. Talk me through that because, you know, mentally, where were you at when you were told that you weren't going to be given a new contract? And then what was it? How did it come about that you were allowed to carry on training? Right. So basically off the back of that Paolo Di Canigio-like scenario, I then got a move to Scunthorpe. Paolo Di Canio didn't want to like re-sign me. We'd gone up into League One. But then I had quite a lot of teams. You know, I'd had a good season under Paolo Di Canio still. And we'd obviously done really well, et cetera, et cetera. So... Scunthorpe wanted to sign me. A few other teams wanted to sign me, but I ended up picking Scunthorpe. Went up there, um, signed a two-year contract, but after a season, um, Oxford wanted to sign me. And it would have been probably, I don't know, it was Chris Wilder. He was the manager at the time at Oxford. Um, So I came down to Oxford, spoke to him. I was happy to get back down south. Basically, I actually had signed one of the contracts in the office, um, but I was injured at the time. And a scan came back and said that my hamstring uh, was potentially could have, could have gone again at some point. And the chairman basically oh, pulled the plug on it. Like that we're talking like the 11th hour. So I ended up having to drive back to Scunthorpe where they had then basically got another player in cause they'd been told I'm definitely, you know, I was at Oxford ready to sign that day. I'd done the medical, everything was gone through. So then Scunthorpe were like, well, look, listen, we've signed someone else. We've basically given him your contract effectively and we're a bit tight for cash. Like oh. we don't really, but obviously it was, it would have had to have been okay. Cause I still had another, I still had a contract there, but also at the same time, I'm now driving back to a club that didn't necessarily want me there anymore. They'd, they'd signed another player that maybe the manager did want. So I would have got, I would have obviously had a job still, but it wouldn't have been ideal. 
And on my way up, mm. Neil Ardley at Wimbledon, he called me and it was a bit less money and it was a bit, but I'd always kind of liked the story of Wimbledon. I didn't know too, too much, but it was very local. And I ended up just kind of really liking what he had to say. So I kind of turned the car around, came back to Wimbledon to kind of meet him, sit down and talk. And by the end of it, I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's just do it. Like, I want to get back down south. Um, I'm quite excited by the prospect of the club's journey so far kind of thing. So, yeah, let's do it. Like, let's just give, give it a good go. And I ended up signing that year, played a few games, but ended up getting quite a bad injury on my ankle at, around kind of Christmas time, um, which then lingered for a few months. And I could feel that because I wasn't playing, I'd been injured. I hadn't really shown what I could do. I hadn't been that good. And then because of that, mentally, I started like, all of a sudden I'm thinking for the first time ever, I was thinking, it didn't quite work out, Scunthorpe. I've now come to Wimbledon on a bit less money, looking to kick on and really do well, and that hasn't quite worked out. Like, uh, mm. and it was the first time ever that I started to like truly start doubting whether I was good enough to do this anymore um, at that level, mm. kind of thing. And I was thinking, where do I go from here if this doesn't work out? Like, is that going to be? Am I going to then be in the conference and and like start looking at that side of things? And for some reason, in my head the idea of going to play in the conference meant I wasn't a professional footballer anymore. And like, it was just a tough, tough time, like mentally. Um, yeah. And then it kind of did get to the point where Neil Hardley said, look, listen, you know, we can't warrant this signing you again because you've been injured. You haven't really played that much. Um, and I was playing within myself because I was trying to basically, when I got back fit, it was right near the end of the season and I wasn't expressing myself fully because I was, basically worried about making mistakes, looking bad and then not getting a contract. But in turn, I was doing myself a complete disservice and actually yeah. making the whole situation 10 times worse. So in, and then he, but he said to me, look, listen, you're more than welcome while you try and find a new club. We absolutely love you. And like, this is kind of something that I've always done. I've always kind of, you know, kept good relationships with people. I've always tried to be a nice guy, et cetera, et cetera. And because I'd got on so well with everyone there, he said, look, you know, you're more than welcome to come back and train in pre-season if you haven't got anything um, and, you know, just tick over. So that's basically yeah. exactly what I did. Um, because I'd been injured, I kind of wanted to get as fit as I could. So I came back in pre-season, trained with them. I also had gone to train with Dover at the time. But training with Dover, yeah. no offence to Dover, obviously they're, they're at a higher level than I'm playing at now. But I went to train there and I just remember it being a bit of a shock to the system thinking, no, nah, I don't, I, I, I need to, I need to get something done at Wimbledon. Like I didn't know if there was even a possibility, mm -hmm. but I just remember thinking I need to go. If he's letting me train, I need to be the best in training every single day. I need to show that I'm ready to die for this thing and really like um, get stuck in. And it was around that time. This is a bit of a weird segue here, but I kind of, yeah. I kind of then like found personal development you know like self-help books and stuff like that basically um and i, I read yeah. a couple of books and off the back of reading these books i started understanding like mindset and a bit of like sports psychology and how to how you can start better in yourself basically and i just fell in love with that side of things and that process of making myself better so i started working harder in the gym getting stronger getting like leaner looking after my diet working really hard in training and it was like chalk and cheese it was like two different people so I think he saw that in pre-season and he was like wow like where, where was this guy last season I said look I just needed that kick up the ass basically to to to, to yeah. liven up um and then yeah that was it he, he re-signed me I went on to have a really good season again he re-signed me again um which then obviously led to the season where we got promoted um and then I actually left went to Leighton Orient for a season um and then sure enough like while i was at Leighton orient things weren't working out it was a bit of shambles behind the scenes uh and yeah. he'd kind of half kept in contact neil ardley had and he kind of he kind of suggested to me one day that he thought it was a bit of a mistake that he'd let me go um and then he basically signed me back again the season after so i ended <laughs> yeah. up going back there um and when they're in league one obviously and um playing some games there again. So it's good, like you said, I think that's another, got a full of lessons in this one, yeah. but again, to all players, because, you know, even 
the, the levels I've made, I've made those mistakes. You fall out with people, you know, you're not playing, you get frustrated, the relationships get burnt along the way. That You know, actually, your side of it is you've kept some really good relationships and you've had someone to lean on or, you know, you've kept your career going yeah, yeah. Um, off, off the back of having those good relationships. So, again, a lesson learned. I'm now, you know, I'm managing myself now so it's like i'm seeing i'm seeing that the other side of it and it yeah definitely definitely pays to um keep those relationships and um, sure you never you yeah just, especially in football football is such a small world i know everyone says that anyway but it truly is and you know you never know like what what relationship that doesn't mean you kind of go in and try and manipulate people and and and, yeah, and play up to certain things but if you're a nice person, you're a nice guy, and you look out for other people, and you're not, a, you know, a scumbag or whatever, then the chances are people yeah. are going to think that you're a, a good enough guy. And I think it's like anything: if you truly are in a situation where you will not take no for an answer, someone has to at least listen to you. And I always had kind of maybe the ability, but maybe I didn't like really have like the mindset thing. And then, like I said, when I kind of stumbled across the whole personal development style stuff. Um, I was probably way too old to stumble across it then. I was I was 25, 26, and I actually remember my dad had bought me a similar book when I was 17, 18, and I just kind of threw it in a drawer and didn't pay any attention, as we all do with our parents. Um, but actually, that would have probably, you know, if for whatever reason the penny had dropped at 17, 18, I really do believe it would have been a completely different story for my career because getting that mindset was probably just a bit too late for me in terms of, really kicking on but I went from getting released from AFC Wimbledon League 2 to then playing for them to get them promoted into League 1 purely not because I was a different player purely because of what was going on in my head literally that is the only reason Yeah and you know what it's funny because like you said you, you all have everyone has their own journey um, and you can see what those sort of wins mean to each individual. Yeah. Um, but I got to say, when obviously being at that at that game and watching you guys, obviously, uh, you know, win promotion into into League One, which is huge, um, huge for the club as it was. Um, as I say, for you individually, it, it was it was great to to see, and, and I think um, just showed you sort of um, your, your rewards for obviously that perseverance and putting that in, uh, putting that effort, in, which is which is great. I mean, the. I think you've probably been asked this question a few times, but how intimidated were you when uh, when Akin Fenwell wanted to take that penalty off? Yeah, you? so basically, um, we we didn't actually have um, we didn't actually have like our penalty take. I think Lyle Taylor was our penalty taker, and he had gone off. I think at the time, so like on the pitch at that time, there wasn't we didn't have a designated penalty taker, so. Adi Aziz won the penalty. He's then picked the ball up. Um, and and like, so to kind of finish this story off, like th- my dad had passed away that season. So my kind of, in my head, I had all of my family there and I was thinking, right, let, we're winning 1-0. There's not a chance I'm missing this penalty. Let me just slot this, peel off to all my friends and family and love like yeah. buzzing, what a day. So Addy has picked up the ball. He won the penalty. So he's picked up the ball and he's walking over like he wants to take the pen. But like deep down, I'm thinking, I know he don't really want it. Like So then I've gone over and I'm like, Addy, come <laughs> like, give me the ball, man. You, you know my situation. You know, I, I want to take it, whatever, whatever. And he kind of reluctantly gave me the ball. And then Bayo, uh, Agafemwa, he come over and he had taken a few penalties that season. So I think in his mind, Lyle going off meant that he was... Th- the penalty taker on the pitch or whatever. The yeah. next man. And yeah, yeah. both me, him, another lad called Sean Rigg and a couple of others had been told already that we weren't going to be getting new contracts. We were leaving AFC Wimbledon. So I think in Bayo's mind as well, he was like, you know, what better stage to kind of put myself in the window, score a goal at Wembley and, and then, you know, move on and go elsewhere. So he yeah. had his reasons. I had my reasons. And that's what then kind of, took place then we were kind of arguing over who was taking the penalty and uh, I always kind of joke that no one else would have stood up to him for as long as I did that day um but, <laughs> no, you but done I, well. I gave it a good go and then actually what killed me man I, I wouldn't have let go of the ball I was determined to take it but what killed me is the ref was like listen 
you two need to hurry up. This is like getting embarrassing, like speed it up. Someone decide and take the penalty. And I had the ball under my arm and I'm like, and I'm like turning away from him. And a Plymouth player has walked up behind me and gone like, hurry up you two and, and hit the ball out of my hand. And it's bounced and Bayo's picked it up. And now I'm looking at him and I'm like, uh, he's got the ball in his hands. And I'm like, there's not a chance I'm getting this back up in. No chance. I can't, I can't <laughs> study in the middle of in, on Wembley, like in the middle of Wembley on his back, like trying to jump on his back and that. So I was like, look, yeah, you know what? Sometimes you just got to take the L. Um, and I remember like walking <laughs> off out of the box and I was fuming, like right head, my head had fallen off. I was, I was raging. <laughs> walked back to the, walked back to the, uh, halfway line. And as he's then taking the penalty, I remember like turning around, looking, I remember like having this little quick moment to myself where I was like, right, listen, all right, cool. You, you know, haven't taken the penalty. No worries. Listen, the main thing is we're going to win at Wembley. And I can either let this ruin my day or all of my hard work that, you know, I've put in over the last couple of years. This is all coming to fruition right now. I can't let something like this ruin it. Let's just embrace it and enjoy it. So he scored. I ran over. I celebrated with him. It was gone. It was fine. And then after the game, he obviously apologised, especially when he, I think he kind of then, he, he, he understood my reason a bit more afterwards in the heat than, than he did in the heat of the moment. So he apologised and, and we're mm. still super tight. I was talking to him literally two days ago. So, um, yeah, it's all good. Now, he's a, he, seems a, he seems a good guy. I've come across him a couple of times in a few sort of NFL yeah, events well. So he, he gets involved in that. And, he's a, yeah, he seems, seems a nice guy. Um, and, yes, you know what? Props to you because you did go toe-to-toe -to -toe with him longer than <laughs> I think anyone yeah. would do. <laughs> I've, got, I've got to say. So, yeah, no, fair, fair play to you, but... They say to, to win at win at Wembley um, and pick a medal up at Wembley is is, is, is different level, mate. Yeah, um, and not not many people will, will be able to do that for sure. So let let's talk um, let's talk mm -hmm. now. Obviously, coming out of uh, the, the league slightly, and again, you've had this, these are, these are two great clubs to actually speak about because yeah. we saw, <laughs> and again, once again, another personality yeah. within yeah. football. Um, at, let's start with yeah, Bill Ricky. Yeah. <laughs> How how was that, mate? And what was the change of a match you like in, oh, that, mate, in that, um, that? That was that wild, mate. That was wild. Um, yeah, so, like, obviously, Glenn Tamplin, very polarising character. And do you know what? Um, he's obviously got his... He's got people that, you know, say whatever they want to say about him, et cetera, et cetera. But for, for me personally, um, he, was a, he was a really good guy to me. Um, I think that... Obviously, a lot of what goes on is, is bravado and is for show, et cetera, et cetera. But actually, there's, there's, there truly mm -hmm. is a really good person in there with a really good heart. Um, and I think that you do see glimpses of that. I know that on Twitter, some, he quite often will be talking about like mental health and he, and he, and he kind of reaches out and helps people on that front. But he's very much one of them leaders that like, it's like, if I build everything up to be about me it kind of half takes the pressure off the lads a little bit now obviously at times mm -hmm. he gets a little bit crazy with that and and he kind of gets lost in in his in his own ways in in that sense but that like there is a good there is a really good guy there um and his son um archie he's a lovely lovely lad and i think that you can always kind of see the true representation of a person when you meet their kids right if he's if his kids mm -hmm. were like yeah. an absolute nightmare and he was a little tyrant, then fair enough. But he's a lovely lad. He's a really good little player as well. Um, and so, yeah, I'll always, you know, I, I actually have got a lot of respect for, for Glenn. I think he's a good guy. Um, he never kind of did me wrong. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's nothing bad to say there. However, he is very, very eccentric. Um, there was a few, a few team <laughs> talks where he kind of would rock up wearing like a, a, a 10, 12, I'm probably doing it a disservice, probably 15 or 20 grand <laughs> Balenciaga fur jacket with a cigar in his mouth saying like, listen, lads, look at, look at us, mate. We, we fucking turn up and we get all the 10 out of 10 birds in a nightclub. These mugs we're playing, they don't stand a chance. And like, he just had his own ways of trying to like rile the lads up. And uh, it was, it, it, it was funny. Yeah. Was, he, he didn't, he didn't actually take himself too seriously. It was, there was like a pinch of salt there. He was super serious about winning. Um, but his team talks, he'd have like a little bit of banter with it. Obviously I wasn't there for the whole R Kelly, like 
world's greatest um, charade. <laughs> but at yeah. the same time, there was there was plenty of stuff like that going on. Um, and yeah, it was it, it was a wild time. And I think that obviously it probably wasn't well it definitely wasn't run as professionally as it should have been uh, anywhere near in all honesty um but you know there was still a very good team there uh and if it hadn't been for the off-field antics and all of the carnage that was going on I think we well the, the club definitely would have would have been okay and done good things for sure yeah, that's it. I, I say from the outside looking in, it just looked yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't quite it sure was, what was, was going mad. on. It was mad. Um, but obviously, I think it always kind of does get blown out of proportion. Do you know what? There'd probably be people that said, "No, nah, it didn't get blown out of proportion," and I'm and I'm actually playing it down because there was times where it was it was mental, but um, it was it was it was like <laughs> it was fun mental at times, and it was tiring mental at other times where it was like you just didn't know what was going to happen the next day. Yeah, it was just like a few question marks over what was going to happen. Um, and then, yeah, it just all got a bit much in the end. But for the for the kind of majority of the time, it, it was quite funny. And obviously, um, you say he, they, he had this bit of a project. You've seen quite a few ex you say ex-pros coming into yeah. that team as well. Did, did, again, does he, do you think he... He saw this sort of serious note that he was going to get Villaricky oh, into, into the, his, the, the top his tiers. Goal. His, his only goal was to get Villaricky into the Football League. And I think maybe a little bit of naivety and maybe not the football background or whatever you want to call it, or maybe just his personality, he was mm-hmm. almost playing real-life football manager. And he thought that if I get you know players from the Football League who have done it in the Football League and had good careers then they'll come here and we'll absolutely smash it and just tear it up. Like if I can put a football league player in every single position, we'll be flying rather than maybe thinking about how to kind of build a team in a certain shape or formation or whatever. It it, it was more based around who was in the team rather than how did the team play kind of thing. Yeah. 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 No, I hear that. And obviously um, we talk about, uh, yeah, yeah, you're a real life yeah. football manager, and and uh, I'm looking at, I look at Dorking, and actually I see a, a you know more calculated uh, game, shall we say, and what marks yeah. actually done there. Um, what, what what are your key differences that you've seen between maybe Billericay and, and, and your so time at Dorking? To be honest, like I, I'm going to give Mark major props here. Um, he is probably as organised and meticulous as any manager slash owner I've, I've worked under. And that's, that's, I'm talking the full spread there. I'm talking across football league clubs. I'm talking everything. He is, he is a man that knows exactly what he wants. He knows exactly how he wants it. And he leaves no stone unturned. Um, and yeah, I think he'll, he will 100, he's obviously had a lot of success anyway, but I didn't know too much of the journey or the success before I went there. But having seen it firsthand, I, I can tell you right now that that club is destined to, to it's going to be, they will carry on getting success and they will keep moving up. That's, that's for sure. Yeah. And obviously, um, you yeah, know, we, we, uh, we, we, our league at our level, we have your uh, under 23s actually in the, in, in the team. What, what, what um, I did notice one of your, I think it was on your, on, on Twitter or Instagram, you mentioned uh, three, three games yeah. in a week. Is that something that you've noticed now with, the fact that you're having to play a few more games no, dur- so, during no, the week? So basically, um, funnily enough, the under-23s, so I've just, the last sort of 18 months, I've been kind of getting little stupid injuries. And I think that was another difference between, say, Billericay and um, and Dorking, is that at Billericay, we, we actually did have a really good physio, Miles, really good, newest stuff. But it was so up in the air and training was so sporadic and wouldn't be there and all this stuff that well, you barely ever got to see the physio. So we didn't really ever get to do any of the work on like rehab and treatment and there was no plan in place. And it was all very much like, you know, rush to get back playing and then you get re-injured. And I kept on just breaking down off the back of like a, a fairly bad injury. Mm-hmm. And then when Mark kind of signed me, um, he's got a, a great, a great medical team at Dorkey and like we're talking, yeah, yeah. you yeah, got Steve, Steve Allen there. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he's got like a couple of physios yeah. under him 
um, Kevin Grant, who are really good as well. And yeah, Steve, obviously, mate, he, he's been at like the higher highest levels of, of of the game. So he was he was uh, when I was a young yeah, yeah, Wimbledon, yeah. he was there. So yeah, he's been he's been in the game a, yeah. a long a long Steve, time. But um, Steve yeah, very really good for me. Kind of get to the root of what some of my issues were, and then to be honest, since I joined Orkin, it's basically been kind of like a. Uh, just putting me back together and getting me back to neutral and then building it all back up again, getting a solid foundation, building it up. And then funnily enough, you mentioned the 23s. I actually played a couple of games for the 23s uh, uh, sort of about, I don't know, a month ago now. Um, and we played it, we played Eversley. Mm. Um, so that was quite, that was quite, <laughs> uh, that was intriguing or enlightening for me because I'd, I'd obviously... <laughs> Um, had friends that had played at that level before and I was then there playing against Eversley trying to get myself fit to, to kind of make it you know help the team whatever and then since then got back fit kind of got myself back in the team um, and then the, the kind of post that I did the other day was more about the fact that it, it was the first time I'd played three games in a week because of the injuries in a, in, a, in sort of not not so much because of the league mm. or whatever just purely because it, you know, I'm finally sort of feeling like I'm back to full fitness now. As I say, that's a roundabout journey because I think I've seen you come yeah, and watch yeah, uh, yeah. Eversley when I was there with with with, yeah. with Brad, the likes of Brad there and yeah, uh, and yeah. Jeffers and all them boys there. So um, yeah, that, that that is a that is a nice yeah, close yeah. of the loop there for you, I think. But uh, yeah, that honestly, mate, it's definitely been intriguing and a great great journey and. Um, you know, long may it continue as well. And hopefully, you know, like you said, um, it is interesting to see what's going up with Dorkin. And, and hopefully, mate, you, you continue to, to have another yeah. promotion uh, medal hopefully come, come your way, which would, which would be great. Um, and I know, you, obviously, you've had some, you've had some good, uh, some good yeah. FA Cup runs and, and obviously games. I think, you've, you, you know, you're obviously um, bagged in the FA Cup as yeah. well, which is, which is great. Looking at, looking at now, I'm looking at the, the, the story of the FA Cup. Um, Tell me, what it, tell me what it meant to you when it comes to FA Cup Day. Was there a different feeling? Um, uh, yes and no. It was always a different feeling. The The initial games were never really a different feeling for me personally. Them games of like, because normally in the, like, say you're in League Two or League One, you'd come in in the first round and quite often you'd be playing a conference team or a team mm. below. And they, nine times out of ten, they're going to be, a, it's going to be a minging game where they're super up for it. And it's like, oh man, we could do without this today. We want to play like some, you know, we want to play football and this could be a slog fest and it's going to be horrible. They're all over it. But <laughs> once you got through them games, the magic of the FA Cup would would kind of then grow in momentum from that point on. And I got really lucky in that we got like Liverpool one year. Um, so played against Liverpool, played against Steven Gerrard. Um, I think Balotelli come on. Like they played a real strong team that day, Emre Chan. Um, yeah, all of them pretty much played that day, and we lost two one. Gerard scored two, um, but like obviously for them, that that is the only reason. That's that's the true kind of beauty of it. That you're all right, cool. We're, you know, professional footballers or whatever. But there's a huge difference between playing for Wimbledon and playing for for Liverpool. So when when you did get them games, yeah. that was when the excitement all of a sudden kind of went through the roof. We got Tottenham in my last year at Wimbledon uh, at Wembley. Harry Kane, Son, they all played. Um, so yeah, that side of things is is unbelievable because you're kind of thinking, you know, what what could we do here? And I kind of reference I referenced it earlier on yeah. when we beat Wigan, who were in the Premier League, um, and Roberto Martinez was their manager. And I'm not just saying it; like a lot of the time, you would see lower league teams beat a Premier League team or a Championship team because. Maybe they went to their ground and it was a rubbish ground or a terrible pitch and they played horrible football and they really roughed them up or whatever. But under Paolo Di Canio, that yeah. Swindon team I was in, we beat Wigan fair and they played football as well. They were a footballing team and we absolutely battered them. Um, yeah. We beat them 2-1, but it, it could have been anything. We we truly like outplayed them on the day. And that is a hell of a feeling for your confidence as well because it's not like, it wasn't like a, a smash and grab, you're kind of playing, getting to like 70, 80 minutes, I was playing against Victor Moses, and I'm thinking, like, we're, we're a better team than you boys. Like, that's what it feels like. Um, yeah. And then we beat Huddersfield the game after, I think it was 4-0. Um, 
and they were in the championship or or right up there in League One at the time. I can't remember, but they had a really good team as well. So it just kind of fills you with confidence, and it, and it is that whole thing of like you kind of dream that could we get a huge team and really like you got not, when you're going out there against a huge team, you've got absolutely nothing to lose. We saw that this weekend with Crawley and Leeds. Um, one of my best mates, George Frankham, he's the Crawley captain. Um, we're talking before the game yesterday, and he's like, "Oh yeah." Um, but buzzing, like so excited to play them. Like it's just going to be, it's going to be quality. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a free shot on it. And then, sure enough, three zip. Um, and he's like, yeah, it was, it, it was, a, it was a nice, easy yeah, game kind of thing. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks for coming. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, so it. Yeah, so it does have that that beauty. And do you know what? That probably brings it quite nicely that you obviously mentioned Croy there, um, and something that obviously a lot of people have been talking about. Um, on social media, um, definitely um, different sides to this, um, and, and no matter what way you look at this, um, is, yeah, is, yeah. is Mark right? And I didn't think I'd ever be bringing him into this <laughs> this podcast yeah. as it was strictly football. Um, where, where do you see this? Because obviously you've got some people that are saying, you know, "What the hell?" Like I've grafted my like ages trying to get into to the pro game. I've been here. I've done. I've had these appearances. Um, and I can't get a sniff. Then there's pros, obviously, can't get a club, um, maybe a little bit younger as well. Um, and all of a sudden, we see uh, Mark Wright, who's played, what, t- 12 games of football, looking at his stats. I think it's something crazy like that. Maybe maybe, maybe no more than 20 games, uh, sort of non-league level, I'm looking at. And he has suddenly... Walked on the pitch, albeit a minute, um, but has walked on a pitch for the minute and got a, a pro deal at Crawley. What, what's yeah, your so thoughts I on guess that? Obviously, it's, it's a, it's a, it's one of them, isn't it? It's a, it's a polarizing conversation because people are so one way or the other on it. And I actually, I, I, like weirdly, I don't mind it because I basically kind of have it of okay. So there's, I guess you can kind of look at this in a couple of different ways, right? So on the one hand. Funnily enough, I played against him a couple of times in like preseason friendlies and stuff. Like, right? I think we played a charity game once at Villaricky. Um, and genuinely, he's actually pretty decent. So, first off, um, and even in speaking to George and a couple of the lads, he said, like, you know, he can more than hold his own. Like, he's he's not bad at all. He's he's, he's pretty decent. Now, obviously, if he maybe wasn't Mark right, then the chances are, you know, you know, he doesn't get that opportunity. But I think he was friends with the manager and he asked if he could come and keep mm. fit. So he obviously went into train. I don't think Crawley is a club that is inundated with loads and loads of money or whatever it may be, right? So I'd imagine he's training. And after a couple of weeks of training, if someone is slotting nicely with the squad and they're actually training pretty well, and it's a point of like, you wouldn't notice that they stood out and they fit in and, and you know, in your eyes, they're, they're, they're keeping up with the standards mm-hmm. kind of thing. Maybe they played like a resi game and he had a good game, whatever it may be. Um, I think they would then maybe look at it like, well, you know, what what can this bring to the party? I know that there's a rumour that he's like doing a documentary or something at the same time. So there probably is an element where Crawley are like, well, do you know what? This brings eyeballs to the club. He isn't, it's not like he's an absolute shambles and he's like going to embarrass us all or whatever. He's holding <laughs> his own. He's going to bring eyeballs. Yeah. Maybe they got some money. Who knows? I don't know. Like maybe the people doing the documentary fronted up some cash for Crawley. Who knows? Um, but then secondly, like we're all talking about it. So the fact that we're all talking about it brings Crawley yeah. to the to the limelight. And even if he never plays again, it is what it is. I don't look at it as if he's taken someone else's opportunity. I actually look at it like, but whether you like it or not, he's created his own opportunities whether that's right or wrong within football Mm -hmm. that's another conversation completely but the truth is he has obviously got some value to be in there because otherwise I don't think they they would have done it I don't believe that if he was um that bad they would have done what they done he obviously has got an amount of ability that meant that this was okay to do in my eyes yeah, no, fair enough. I think I think that's, yeah, yeah. that was a nice balance uh, way of looking at it for sure. I think because yeah, I can I can sort of see I can see both sides to it. I think certainly um, 
like you and it's slightly i'm slightly going the other way but I, um before yeah, i was yeah, jumping yeah, up yeah, and down yeah. a bit like are you kidding me like you know there's so many people that are working hard even at the yeah. level you're in now it's sort of yeah. national that national league level young lads they're looking for that opportunity and it's like how's this guy yeah. turned up yeah. <laughs> and uh obviously he's now ticked every box and he's got yeah, a, you know yeah. nice missus to go back to each time so i'm sure he's not too i'm sure he's not too bothered about what's being said um on on twitter and instagram for for instance so but um it's just interesting to hear your take on it because as we've just you know we, we've just spoke about your journey leading all the way up to this to this point um you know to, for you to get to this this far and obviously suddenly someone uh you know, just nipping straight away um, because of yeah, who they yeah. knew, I suppose. Um, want to see your, your take. I, I, yeah, I, no, that's, I fully, that's a nice, I, I fully nice get balance what you're saying, you. But I always go back to, like, I couldn't, I couldn't necessarily hold it against him for him. Say I was in that situation and I'm trying my nuts off to get in that club or whatever it may be, and he comes and he nips in. You can look at that two ways. You could be fuming that it's nipped in or you could look at it like, well, I can only control what I can control. And really and truly, if I was good enough or if I had shown I was good enough, they wouldn't have even been able to contemplate having him because I'd have been such a bonus and a plus to this team that they would have had to sign me. So it's just I kind of look at it like no other man can take your opportunity. That's on you like to, to, to make the most of your situation. And I get it. I fully understand, but I do think that there's there's definitely an element of both sides to it. But I I think that if he had been not up to scratch at all, then it it it's it's not like what some some people are calling it like a complete publicity stunt. And I don't think it, it is that necessarily. There's probably an element of both to it. But I don't um, begrudge him for it at all. I think fair play has gone for saying it's probably just as nerve wracking for him stood on the side of the pitch about to come on thinking. If I have a torrid here, this is going to be the worst. I'm going to be trending. I'm going to be. This is like so. He, so he was. He had probably more to lose than anyone else did because he could, that could have gone real bad for him. Imagine he comes on and a Leeds player just makes him, and they put one in the stand straight away. Like that would have been horrible, wouldn't it? So, I, so there's a part of me that's like, that's him. I like it. Yeah, that first yeah. touch, man. Yeah. He's just exactly. get get it right, get it right, but. Uh, so I want to obviously again thank you for obviously joining joining us this week. And before we end it, I suppose is you know what what are your what are your predictions uh, for, for this year? Looking at the sort of top at the top level now in the Prem, who, who have you got sort of think, winning that this I year? Think it's tricky. I, I I I look at it and I worry for some reason about Liverpool. I think that they should be okay, but there's something that doesn't. I think Van Dijk for me is probably the most important player outside of Messi and Ronaldo. Like I do believe Van Dijk could be the most like influential player you could have in a team. I really do. I think that so much comes through having him there. I feel like the whole mindset of the team is different when he's there. He calms everything down. He's obviously a joke. He can do everything. Um, and I think that that loss is, is mm. mega. Like They're obviously right up there and they're still a, an unbelievable team, but... I do think that's the difference. And I feel like Man City are starting to cook on gas a little bit. And I could easily see Man City like turning it on and really putting a good run of form together. I, I don't think Man United are there at all. Um, I know they're having a good run, but I actually think that this whole Corona season and situation is meaning that a lot of crazy things can kind of go on and happen. So, So I feel like that could still play a part. But I do just think that Man United don't have, they've got game winners, but they don't, for me, they don't have a winning setup. Like they don't have the team that can truly go and win, but they've got individual players and a lot of them that could just turn on some magic and win a game. I do think that over the course of the season, that kind of falls short though. Whereas I think Man City, when I look at their them as a team, as a squad, similar to Liverpool, I think that they can they can get it done over the course of the season. So I'd say... I know it's pretty obvious, but I'd say it's between. I know, I'd say it's between Man City and Liverpool. <laughs> but if I had to pick one, I would actually say I think it's going to be Man City. Okay, and Chelsea. Where, mm, do you see them in the top no, four this year? I would say no. I actually don't. I think that the top four will probably be. Mm, I think it will be Man City, Liverpool, 
Man United and Tottenham, and I think it would be Tottenham or Man United that finish three. Maybe I'd probably say Tottenham will finish third, and Man United finish fourth. Fourth, yeah, yeah, okay. Now that's fair. We look, look too. I don't think we're too far off in, in predictions from from this year. And yeah, Jose is definitely. Uh, I yeah, hate to yeah. say it, but obviously doing all right there at, at Tottenham as a gooner. Yeah. It's uh, painful to watch at the moment, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get back in the sniff at, at some point. But. Uh, Listen, mate, honestly, uh, appreciate your, your time. And um, obviously, hopefully it all works out. Still at Dorking, top of the league at the moment, from what I understand. So um, hopefully, yeah, Corona doesn't yeah. Um, put a halt to anything um, at, at, your, at your end. And hopefully you guys get, get the job done and uh, you continue to, to con- yeah, uh, continue the great career you've got. Thank you very got. much. Um, lovely talking to you. And uh, we'll speak soon. Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.